All right, so we should have everybody join us. We're going to give this one more moment here just while we have a couple more people logging in. Appreciate everyone joining us. One thing I do want to say before we get rolling here is uh, if you guys have any questions throughout the entire presentation, make sure you use that chat box, use the Q&A. We're going to be going through them, making sure we save some time for it at the end. Great. Sounds good. All right, looks like we've got quite a few people logged in now. So I'm going to go ahead and get us started. So everyone, we are broadcasting this also live to Facebook. Um, just a heads up there, so you should be able to view it there as well later. Um, we're also going to be hosting it live, or on demand, excuse me, from uh, both the B-Boy and the Scout side. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to get started. So thank you everyone for joining us. This is the next edition of the MSP Initiative. If this is your first time here, the MSP Initiative has a simple goal. Uh, that's just education back to the channel. Um, we've looked out for the top industry experts. Um, that's why we're here with our friends today from Scout. Um, idea being that we want to bring some of the industry experts out there and talk to you real, about real life things, what's happening, and how we can help bring that to you. Um, especially during these hard times, we know it's a weird time for everyone. and. Uh, we want to help, and if we can add a couple tips or tricks to your day, uh, make your life a little bit easier, that's our goal here. So without um, any more delay, I'd like to welcome uh, both James Hathel and Aaron, uh, Arun uh, Abraham. Sure. Uh, James Hatzel here, also known as Jimmy from Scout, um, my, my, on, on, on Reddit and uh, Facebook. But uh, I have the pleasure today of introducing my good friend Arun who is one of the most knowledgeable people in cybersecurity that I know. Um, Arun's uh, knowledge is also unique in that he's not, he's very technical and can understand the technical aspects of things. Um, but he's also extremely good with customers um, and can explain very complex issues um, to people who don't have any technical experience. Uh, Arun's worked in it for over 15 years. Uh, he's worked uh, with Scout specifically for the past five. He's helped build our company, been through countless number of cyber incidents. Um, he, he knows what to do in any situation. And he's definitely the guy that you go to at Scout if you need help with something or you're not sure what to do. Uh, so I'm excited for him to share some tips today on what we can all do. Uh, and if you have questions, please, please uh, comment in the chat because Arun is a great person to answer, answer them. So I'll hand it over to Arun. Great. Thank you very much, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Um, hello, everyone. Um, before I start, I just wanted to wish everyone, I'm hope, I hope uh, everyone's safe and well uh, through this crisis, most importantly. 
I know this has uh, shifted and realigned us in a lot of different ways. And handling this crisis goes, you know, uh, I think there's various aspects of it that we all kind of look at, whether you're working from home, you're dealing with so many different technologies that you may have not used in the past. So I know a lot of people are going through a lot of major shifts. I know from the MSP market, uh, there's been a, a huge transition of VPN accounts and things that they're challenged with. And what we're here to speak today is how such a crisis like this and um, how it's changed the, the landscape um, as it changes every day, as we know, and this has certainly changed it. So what I wanna do today is kind of go through some of those foundations to highlight, um, and some of these include um, things that Scout has worked on, and this includes incidents. I was actually been working for the last two days on a couple of different incidents, and um, I'll speak to aspects of that without disclosing any specific information to kind of realign you to kind of how it's real. So these things that I speak to you today are not just things you should do, why you should do it, but these are things that we're actually working on currently with a lot of customers. So no matter how much uh, has changed, the one thing for sure is the attackers and the threats have only gone up. So I wanna go through this and again, if you have any questions, feel free to, to put it in the chat window and I'll be uh, able to answer those towards the end. Um, um, again, so today I'm gonna just speak about a couple of different areas. One is around device management, how we have to manage in, in the inventories and the devices that we have, because I know many people have devices they've had at home that they have used for corporate access. Some had to run out to the store to buy some and some are using their machines at home. So again, how do you make sure those are secure and protected? Email's always a key aspect of it. It continues to be along with that endpoint that you're using now with that. Uh, remote access, VPN being one of them. And we'll talk about RDP, which many businesses, especially the MSPs and the SMB market are very familiar with, as well as home security. How does that play into the mix? Um, video conferencing. I mean, you hear enough about Zoom and various other uh, technologies that have been shifted in the market and increased in privacy issues and things. What can we do to, to and think about that? As well as uh, the infamous wire transfers. And uh, you know, to be honest with you, this has been a key aspect of where organizations, so many organizations obviously use ACH and wire transfers. Today, you're not in your office to receive a check. So anyone that is not uh, doing a wire transfer, ACH transfer, um, you are today because it's the only way you're probably gonna get payment. So this is now increased in the landscape and I'll talk about that and I'm actually working on a few right now. Um, so device management. When we think about our devices, you know, you have your inventory. Number one, do you know what you have that's running, that's connected to your network, that has access to your network? So when you have a device at home and it's connected to your network at home and your users are connecting back into your environment, at the point they actually connect into your environment is where the biggest risk is. So that's where VPN comes in play. So when you think about your inventory, what is the inventory of what you have out there? Who's using their own machine? Who's using a corporate supplied machine? And the machines that you just bought from Costco or Walmart, wherever you picked it up from, is it where it needs to be, right? And what's being stored on that, right? So in terms of how much are you utilizing and where do you have centralized data and restricted data, and now are, are users able to get that data and keep a local copy of it? 
um, implementing patch management. Now you have machines that are on that were on, on prem, and now is actually remote. How are you ma making sure that those are patched and maintained? Mobile device security. If you think about various aspects, that becomes a key point of where people communicate. What are we doing about that encryption? Um, and so these are the different areas to kind of think about from an overall device management. I'll go into these a little bit deeper uh, along the way, but you know, when you think about mobile device, I'll hinge on that for a minute because most of us use it. You know, look, this is regardless of whether you're working remote or not, but mobile devices that people are using, I mean, are the applications that they're using, uh, are they getting it from a Google apps, uh, app store? Or are they getting it from Google play store, right? So again, is the permission set up on those things properly? Um, there is, there's an application called Lookout. You can actually download it for free. It actually has, even on the free version, when you get an email and you click a link, it actually checks if it's a malicious link. So there are things you can do on that. Um, and then encryption. Encryption's always been a key aspect, right? So when you have these machines, you have encryption at rest, which is that your drive and the laptop is encrypted fully. It could be encryption within a file then there's an encryption from point A to point B, SSL, right? So where, where, are, where are things being encrypted and where are things not being encrypted? So these are just some of the areas to kind of think through for your own. And again, I can answer any questions specific to any of these areas later or afterwards as well. Uh, this goes back to the you know, previous kind of slide, right? Hardening these machines, making sure they're patched. The fundamental of security, when you get a threat, and you have a threat, whether it's through email, whether it's through an insider, whatever it means it might be, that if your machine is patched, the ability for that to detonate on your machine considerably goes down, right? So patching is critical. It's fundamental and it's critical. I could talk all about nation states and a lot of different things, but I'll be honest with you, most of the things that we do, it comes down to basic hygiene, right? So patch management is critical. It's also not easy, I know, especially when you're an IT person, like, well, why don't you patch everything? Well, because I have a machine that has an application that is critical to the business and I can't patch it. So then you should think about how do I mitigate it, right? Where do I put it aside and how do I deal with that? But patching machines that are remotely are very critical because you may not have access to it. So letting your users know or how they can do it is very important. Removing unnecessary services. I mean, they're using a machine at home. Is that a shared machine that they're using with their child? for you know, their school. How is that being used today? It might be very different than it was a month ago because maybe it was your own machine. Now your children need to use it a lot more for their school uh, classroom. Uh, encryption, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Bluetooth, things, services that you don't really need. If you're on a Mac, you have Bluetooth. Do you need it? Disable it if you don't need it right now. Um, and then you know, automatic running of files. Is your Excel set up in a certain way to run files? So again, hardening, looking at that machine, knowing where your machines are, knowing what they are, knowing if they're patched, having them patched is very, very important, as fundamental as it is. When we look at emails, the key aspect of how entry is, social engineering is, is top of the list. At Scout, there's two, two things that we really zone in and focus on. We, we look at a lot of different things at Scout, but one of the two things that we look at are business email compromise and ransomware. Those are things that you're probably familiar with because either you dealt with it, you've had attempts on your own accounts or your users that's had it. So look, there's, not, there's things that are a lot of the same. Multi-factor is very important. Your 
our, an ability for someone to go to portal.office.com, type in an email address simply, and log in with a random password that you may not have changed in a long time, right? Or you may be using it LinkedIn or somewhere else where they have been breached, right? So as fundamental it is, it is very important to be looking at and zoning in on this because everyone has it. If more people have moved to cloud-based services like Office 365, so it's very important to look at how are you protecting that. So when you're looking at that, there's the, you know, obviously phishing protection is very important. How are you doing that? So when you look at email phishing filtering, there's what Office 365 provides, right? Fundamentally, just as an example. And when I'm just using that as an example because that's the most common uh, platform and whether it be your own exchange on-prem, wherever it might be, but, in addition to Office 365, do you have any enhanced protections, right? So when we look at uh, business email compromise, you know, the more you can give users, the better. So two things that we look at are content filtering, image identification, right? So this is enhanced filtering abilities that, uh, like Scout, we sell email protection for example. So you have your traditional emails that get filtered for threats. There's an attachment that's bad, it's coming from a bad actor potentially, or it may be coming from a Gmail address I just created. And I don't have anything bad in it, but I'm looking at sending you an email that has an Office 365 password reset or an Amazon password reset. Your Amazon has been, uh, account has been, uh, you know, uh, password has expired or Office 365 has expired. And your users receive that from a Gmail address, which has an alias that says Office Admin, let's say, right? So, Content filtering image identifications, the ability to look at that and say that that Office 365 logo or Amazon logo, let's say, is usually, what is it, uh, orange and black, I think. In this one, it's red and black, or it's not the legitimate or authenticated image. So doing advanced filtering is kind of important. The other thing is also there are uh, applications, obviously Scout has it, but you could look at like Mimecast and others that have that ability uh, is, you can put a banner. So Scout email has it, Mimecast I know has it, there's a couple of other ones that might have it, that simply when you get an email, it says on the top that it's external or it's a first time sender. Simply that banner allows a person to be more educated, hey, it's a first time sender, but no, it's my CEO. How is it a first time sender? And then you look and you see that it's really from your CEO's name, but it's actually from Gmail and it's not him, it's being impersonated. And your email filter at Office 365 didn't block it because it's coming from Gmail. It hasn't been reported as a actual uh, blacklisted email. So again, I'm just giving you ways to kind of think about it. DMARC, SPF, DKIM. You've heard of SPF, hopefully. That's just the fundamental of not only being allowed to send uh, from certain uh, server as that domain. But there's a thing called DMARC and DKIM. It's another layer of validation with a key exchange that happens between the sender and the receiver and then validating back. You should have that enabled. DMARC is an additional layer of avoiding impersonations of your domain from emails that go out. If you wanna go check if you have it or if you think you have it and you, have it, you think you have it working properly is also important. One of the things that we identify quite a bit is number one, most people don't have DMARC and DKIM enabled. Number two, if they do, it's not working properly. So if you go to just like Valamail as an actual application, it's actually a, a, a way to enable DMARC. 
easily. They just help you enable it. It's a service you pay for it. But they actually, if you go to domain dash checker Valimail, you can actually put in your domain and see if it's not just if it's set up, if it's set up properly. What we find a lot is that people say, oh yeah, I have that set up. And then we go, we're like, no, it's not set up properly. Like, oh, there was something missing it. So again, that's a way to validate and reduce that. As far as you know, tips, um, this is just education that you all know. Don't click something you're not sure. You know, if you look at the from sender, hover over that link. Things that security awareness training has already taught you users, and I'm sure that you know yourself, but again, layers of protection, look at the images, verify the sender, look at what's going on. So I'm not gonna go into that as much. I think this is a lot that you hopefully know or your users know. Endpoint, again, having advanced endpoint, if you think about the perimeter is gone, right? It's gone. You're, you're right now working out of your house. That is your perimeter. That endpoint is your perimeter. So having a, a strong uh, artificial intelligence or behavioral based versus a traditional solution like let's say AVG or whatever you might have. So when you look at like Scout has one that we use and we partner with Silence, but there's others like CrowdStrike or others that are more AI driven that look at you know suspicious email that looks like a ransomware, for example, that looks like one them from before. So again, having an advanced endpoint and making sure it's deployed everywhere and don't miss that other one machine because that might be the machine that actually gets a ransomware and locks down all your files. It only takes one, remember. Um, you need to monitor also, like when you're looking at your email, monitoring is very important. The reason is because your email, your endpoint protection is doing a lot of things. Like at Scout, we often alert our customers on, uh, we don't alert a customer when there's a malware found on a machine and it's identified uh, because it's clean. As long as it's clean, but when it is quarantined or when it's failed to clean, we actually alert our customers and be surprised how many virus uh, programs quarantine or more fail to clean. And it's important that that is known to the, um, to the customer and the user. Again, ensure your updates are there. Um, PowerShell scripts that are running. Ability, these are advanced endpoints that have the ability to identify PowerShell scripts and block them or mitigate them. So silence for us, it goes through three phases. Phase one is monitoring. Phase two is blocking. Phase three is script control. Kind of just shows you what an advanced one does and how you kind of train that up. But again, having the proper endpoint protection is very important because that is your perimeter. And if you think even further, where is your perimeter today is really your identity. Um, your identity is your perimeter. The ability to you know, not have that disclosed in any way. There was a malware called exploit.it. I don't know if you're ever familiar with it. It came out like a year ago, two years ago. It was exfiltrating data and credentials. So anywhere you logged into, the credentials are there. So for example, on my machine, I have two point something billion passwords and, and credentials on it. So if you're not regularly changing your passwords, it's out, it's available to the threat actors. So just remember that. RDP, very common, especially in the SMB market, right? Remote desktop on Windows machines oftentimes is used as a method of remotely accessing an environment. It is the number one thing that is identified from the outside. So environments are being scanned on a repeated basis for RDP attempts. It's actually using legitimate credentials. So when we start monitoring customer, we often find on the firewall continued attempts of usernames like admin or actual usernames like um, J Smith, J Smith one things of that nature that correspond to actual people that are in the company 
based on, again, recon, reconnaissance, social engineering. It's not hard to identify. So if you do have RDP in your environment, you know, one, don't leave a box on the outside with RDP. You know, like number two, think about other ways you can do it using default ports on it. So again, RDP should just not be. Remote access as a whole, you should limit it in idle times. You know, do you have that idling out at a certain point? Do you have two-factor enabled, right? Multi-factor is fundamental. Going forward, if you look at Microsoft, Microsoft's whole approach is to get rid of passwords. So you don't need passwords anymore. Think about the beauty of that. Like, how is that even feasible? Well, it's feasible because go forward strategy on, on authentication. Remember I said that your identity is the new perimeter? So a lot of things don't matter. I have your credentials. Like I said, I have it on my, on my machine, a, a large number of it. So, so do others. So if you think that identity is your perimeter, how do you get around it? Well, you, you forget the password is going to safeguard you. So what's happening in the market right now is they're moving into multi-factor authentication combined with biometrics. If you think about your mobile device, you probably have a fingerprint that enables your device to start up. Most machines you buy today have a fingerprint. My MacBook has a fingerprint. Most laptops either it comes with it or it's a pretty simple option to enable. So again, if you think about going forward, uh, you know, biometrics, multi-factor, a key aspect of going forward. So again, think about multi-factor as a fundamental key strategy to protect yourself. Uh, VPN connectivity, again, like I mentioned, I mean, there are fundamentals of, you know, idle timeouts, rebooting machines regularly that are, that you're accessing these environments, split tunneling. For those that are not familiar with that, you know, your VPN configurations should be set up where the remote user that's connecting in on a VPN connection cannot continue to access their network locally, right? That they have to go through your network. The reason is because now you have a point of entry between the local network at that home and whatever it's connected to and your corporate network. Now the danger and the, the way you have to look at it is like, well, the problem is Arun, when I connect and if I have it where my users are using my, uh, my, my internet, one, it's latency, it's slow. Number two, it's using my bandwidth. Now that's the trade-off between security in that case and the fact that you wanna make sure that you have control and you're filtering anything that's coming into your network. So the, the, the thing with that is that you have to think about why is someone VPNing into your network? Is it to access your, their email? Well, why aren't they using Outlook Web Access or OWA or some other means of getting to their email, right? Maybe they're not trained or educated. What are the different other applications that I have that might have a front-end website or a web page on it? Either it exists, is available for me to enable, the more you can remove VPN access into your environment, the better you are. Your users remotely should only VPN into your environment to access things they couldn't otherwise, because email is a top contender of that, right? So if that's what it is, do they really need to access VPN? For those that do need to access it, are you limiting those to only get to those things that they need? So in many cases, especially with this whole shift to remote from work, uh, work from home, a lot of users don't need full access to your entire network. They just need to get to their finance app or they just need to get to their other HR app, which happens to be in your environment. It happens to not be available other than through VPN. Question is, are you giving them access to more than they need? Because if they have a malware on their endpoint, 
it's able to now bridge within your network. So you really want to limit that as much as possible. Um, and again, is your VPN device updated? Is the client's VPN uh, client and updated as well as your own hardware that you're supporting for VPN and firewall? Home security. Now, you know, this is really, really important, especially at this time. And you may not have thought about this as much, but uh, Scout actually sent an advisory on this about probably about 10 months ago, where home routers were continuously being hit for breaches. If you think about when was the last time you ever updated your home router, if you ever did, your Wi-Fi. Now, if you're a technical person, you probably change the default password. You probably have the encryption enabled, strong passwords, but does the average user at home and all your users have that? Have they ever updated their Wi-Fi, their Netgear hub, right? So if you think about the routers as your cable company is that being updated, right? So that's a point of entry. And the thing is, even if you're using SSL VPN, or your user is, if I can get entry into their home through that home router, I have then access to their machine, which then I could use as a gateway in. So those home routers is very important. Limiting social media, especially when they're home, they're gonna be doing personal work as they probably may have done at work. But again, that machine's being used in a lot of different ways. And so it's important to look at how the people are using that, especially when it's their own machine, like how much do you control do you have? You may not have as much. So then do you limit them? How do you limit them? What do you limit them to? These are things to really think through uh, on your own about what that looks like. And securing your workspace. I mean, you know, like being in a, if you're talking to a client, are you in a secure workspace where, you know, you're someone else in your home your wife or your husband is in another area where they're having a call, you're having a call, and there's information being passed where there's other people there. Think about where you are, especially you know specific type of uh, situations. Um, and encryption. Hey, look, encryption and updates on everything, uh, even your thermostat, right? Like so, if you look at like the DIN attack a year, year and a half ago, took down major sites like Netflix, um, you know, and various large sites. It was all from these little devices, whether it be a camera at home, a thermostat, or all of these IoT devices being breached. It was sitting there uh, as a point of being able to attack. And then at some point, a command and control, somebody hit a button, and all these devices went out, taking down major websites. Like, how is that even possible? Or well, update, it, uh, you, I think it was Ring or someone else camera-wise, you know, there, if you don't update, someone has remote access into that environment. It's not difficult, unfortunately. Video conferencing, you've heard enough about Zoom and all the different updates. If you have Zoom, we're on a Zoom now. You know, like you'll notice that they have additional configurations in there, like security becomes a bucket where you, you automatically, not everybody's able to share a screen. Automatically, not everybody's able to enter into a, a you know, you might want to put people in a, a waiting room um, it requires you to authenticate and log into Zoom. You can say that you don't want people that are not authenticated and, and legitimately registered, uh, requiring passwords. So, um, so for example, I went on to a call the other day where someone gave me a phone number. I called and I was asking for the passcode. I, I went into the number and went right into the bridge. No beep, no nothing. And as I'm listening in, so think about like, who's listening in on these calls, right? It's not very hard to get access to some of these calls and depending on you know whether it's a restricted call or not you don't know how they're going to use that information so again restrict 
and limit. Zoom has tons of options. WebEx does too. Um, you know, so it's really important to think through what those are and what you want to do to really allow uh, a more secure environment, especially in this current situation. Um, wire transfer. So again, the infamous subject. Um, I'm actually working on a number of them now. If you think about wire transfers, right? So how do they occur? So number one, there's a, a generally a social enge engineering component, a recon work, right? Reconnaissance. Um, the reconnaissance work is essentially looking at social media to see who the players are that are key targets within where I want to go. Once I identify that, then the next step is what? For me to figure out what their domain is and probably create something very similar to that. The other obvious way is earlier, like I said, if I have your legitimate credentials. So the way they're initiated is looking at key targets who could potentially do a wire transfer. With, so I'm looking at finance people, I'm looking at controllers, I'm looking at sea levels and putting some, something short to understand what's going on within, um, within that environment to target those individuals. So like the main thing is, so a lot of times what people do is they call a vendor of yours or a client of yours and they actually physically phone call them and tell them, hey, listen, I'm calling, I wanna change my bank number, we're making a change. And you'd be surprised, the person on the other side then sends or provides uh, information to be able to say, okay, I just need you to complete XYZ form. And there's a way that they can send an email to someone imposing as something similar to that person and their domain. So it looks very similar. When the person's actually replying with that form that validates that this is okay to go ahead with, they're actually replying to an altered address. They just don't realize it in the email because they hit reply. They're not right, they're not, that's what they're doing. They're hitting reply, sending the form. The threat actor sends a form back. The new bank account number comes in play. Next step essentially is then, then they're able to have an exchange and the payments made elsewhere. So how do you help prevent wire transfers, right? And changes like this. So one is verbally, speak to people we've talked about that right and that means that there's an exchange between the person making the request to change and the person on the other side should always call back so if you're getting a request from someone to change a bank account number something you could talk to your finance they should be called they should be hanging up and say let me call you back and call at the, at the designated number for that client or vendor once they call back they know that they're talking to the real person because that's the number that they had previously. Now there's an exchange between the two. So that's how the two-way exchange works. So again, a verbal confirmation is very important. Um, looking at unique requests. If you're not used to a request like that coming in, then you shouldn't be, you should be thinking twice about it. People internally should be checking the email addresses. Like I said here, here's an example of, uh, of something that's altered. Again, this could be a different ABCD, wherever it might be, might be changed. This is actually, I meant to change the domain name, but uh, I changed the name instead. But you can see how it's altered and you might not realize that some of these are coming through. Again, remember when I told you about the reply? The person should do a forward. That way they're typing in the email themselves instead of replying to what they think they're replying to, which is not the real person, right? Especially for key things like this. And when you're making changes, 
you should have more than one person who one some one person who initiates a change and another person who approves it so having more people in the flow to make these is very important and again these are things that i'm just telling you what's happening in the market as an example um so i'll leave uh any other time for questions that you may have? All right. So first of all, that was that was great. Honestly, some really good information in there. I mean, we've seen some really scary stuff, unfortunately, in uh, in our time. I think uh, the increase of IoT. I know you hit on that, and that's one that's absolutely a scary one. I mean, I, I personally myself. I did a lot of IoT. I did a, you know the whole smart home setup. I, I loved it. It's definitely convenient. It's fun. I'm, I'm a tech guy at heart, but um, I did countless research and, and calling friends like like Jimmy to to hear exactly how I should you know the do's and don'ts, the pitfalls of it because it is a, it's a huge open door. Um, I remember a couple of years ago I was sitting on a panel for um, down Texas for SpiceWorks, and one of the gentlemen there managed the entire IT team. And he had a terrifying story about one of the teachers had done an overseas exchange program, was over in China and ended up bringing back, uh, he, he described it as almost a Furby, if you remember the toy from the 90s. And uh, it was almost a Furby with a, with a screen in, in the chest of it. When he came back and uh, set it up on his, on his desk, it could play music, could do weather, things like that. It was also stealing all of the data it could off of the server, saying it all back to a database in China and uh, pretty much nuking their network infrastructure. So the holes out there are not always prevalent or uh, easy to easy to see, but some really good information. And, and I really appreciate you guys jumping in here to talk about just some of the biggest pitfalls we're seeing. I mean, RDP is one I keep seeing mentioned constantly. Um, the scary backdoors that are being put up there from users who figure it out are, are absolutely terrifying to MSPs and, and, and you know the tech world as a whole. Um, so I do want to go through, um, see if we've got any questions here. Um, and Jimmy, is, did, did you see anything on your side too? I know I got a couple via chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um I saw one come through, um, and some like. It, it was about uh, explaining the need to your end users. Um, and I just reword it because I've seen you do this room um, many times. But what, could you just give a couple tips, like some key messages or talking points if um, you have an MSP uh, who's trying to explain the need uh, for an investment in cybersecurity um, and, and why it's important to do so to someone who doesn't necessarily understand it? Uh, sure. I think it really the primary thing is education, right? So selling is not really, how do you sell? I'm, I'm not a salesperson myself. So what I typically do is educate customers. And it really, if you think about your own and what you go through. So number one, do you receive uh, emails that may not be warranted, right? So if you think about all the different social engineering things that a, a user receives, fundamentally that's what's going on in the market and a lot of times people i think think about not having anything of that anybody wants right so i think the education really is around what's going on in the market is uh you know people are knocking on doors right so rdp is an example you just mentioned earlier if i'm able to just scan the network and see what rdp is available in an environment and then i notice oh i found these 10 which is by the way a lot more 
And then I remote control. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at, right? I happen to be at this company. And so when I think about a CEO and I think about, you know, what he's concerned about, it's not as much about the data. It's just in terms of impersonations, right? How do I know that my environment right now, someone's not logged into it? And part of that has to do with, again, think about, if you ask the person, let me ask you a question. Is the password that you're using today something that you use elsewhere, right? So most environments, of people who have a strong password for their internal environment, corporate environment, but there's a one or two passwords that they commonly use across the, across the board. If I think about how a threat actor does, he finds one or two or three of those, and then you're using an alteration of that password. Now, number, number, the next thing you think about is like, okay, well, that's not what I'm using for my corporate network, and that's, that's probably not what I'm using for my bank. So think about your bank. If I want to go into your bank account, I probably can't get in because you're using a strong password. But it's probably associated, let's say you have a Yahoo email account. I'm not sure if everybody knows, but Yahoo has been breached. We have the repository, so do many other people. So if you think about going to your bank, chances are it's Bank of America, Citibank, it's one of the major banks, and I do a forgot password with your email. Now I have an email that came in, I have access to your email, I go in, I change your bank password. So it's not the way you and I think, it's about taking information and using it in some way to be able to alter the, 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 what you actually thought you protect. So I think education on terms of what's happening in the market is really important, the wire transfer fraud. Again, you might be doing all the right things, right? Are the people that you're working with and working, that are making payments, are they doing the right thing? Then when you don't get your payment, right, what have you done to help secure and educate your own environment to protect that? So I think education is really important to talk about what's going on in the market. And that eventually will strike a chord because I don't know of anyone that hasn't had an issue with some kind of an attempt on social engineering, wire transfer, you know, various different attempts that they've had. All good information. And, you know, I think these are definitely things that people are going to start to encounter more and more. And they've got to be, you're right, it's, at the core, it's always going to be education. Um, you know, I, I actually have a quick follow-up to that. But before that, um, we had a question come in from Thomas. Um, actually, had two good questions. He just, he just dropped the second one. Um, while we start to read through those, I want to remind everyone, if you're watching on Facebook or LinkedIn or any of the other um, platforms, this is live on now. Join us in the Zoom now, and if you can't now, make sure to join us uh, going forward because that's obviously the way to interact with our panelists and uh, hear the experts firsthand. Um, so first question from Thomas is, can you touch on the concept of micro-segmentation? Sure. So, I mean, segmentation as a whole is always the best you can do. The thing is, how well can you do it, right? So, like, when you think about segmenting your users, when you think about segmenting your networks, putting in controls like network access control, things about how to separate users are always best, whether it's physically, logically, however you can do it. The question is how easy is it to do it for you? Uh, there's actually, a, uh, I don't know if anyone heard of this uh, application called AppGate. Uh, AppGate is something uh, uh, that's available. I'm just giving you an example. And that, what that does is it has the ability when you remotely connect into your environment, it's able to understand where you are 
And based on where you are, it gives you a different level of access. And it's actually embedded into your network interface itself, right? So the way it works is like, let's say you're trying to get to XYZ app within your environment. If you're logged in from, the, from New York, you get it. If you're, if you're traveling and you log in from, uh, let's say you're in Starbucks and you're on a free Wi-Fi, you may not get it, right? You go to Europe or China, you get more limited access. Same user, but based on where you are contextually, you get different access levels. Now that's just, I'm just giving an example of it. So I think in terms of segmentation as a whole, I think it's a great thing to do. In PCI world, you have to do it, uh, but it's a matter of your ability to do it and how much change it requires. But I definitely think it's a great thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, the second one that came up from Thomas uh, was what tools are you seeing for tracking the education component required? For tracking the education, I'm not, so there's two different ways. So one is getting it educated yourself. And then second mm -hmm. is for education on your users, right? So just in terms of education for your users. Yeah, he said users. Okay. He just followed up. Okay. So when you talk about education for the users, I think there's a lot of different ways you can do it. So one is you as a individual for your MSPs or as an IT person, you can educate your users by, you know, providing newsletters, different ways that you can communicate it that way. There is external uh, places you can go like know before, for example, is a place that you can log in and mm -hmm. get an account. They do social engineering on top of the education. There's some free ones out there. If you go to Mimecast, they have a whole bunch of free videos. Some of them are comical. So there's different sources and depending on how much you want to spend. But I think that we all get a lot of different uh, pieces of education around cyber. And it's very hard to figure out what is it that I really need to communicate to my users. So I think like for Scout, what we provide is we do threat advisories for our customers. So we get around the room with all the things that's going on for the week. We identify one or two things for the broader market and all our customers use. We try not to be Microsoft to Cisco. We talk about other things and we will bring Microsoft, for example, if they do an off cycle release patch, we'll communicate that, right? So, but it's a, it's, it's a pool of people to kind of pick and choose what is the best thing for the broader customer base that's helpful. So that's our ongoing education. For your users, I would kind of think about it the same way. What's the most effective way for them to be educated? You also think, should think about, when you talk about segmentation, like your users have different levels of access and they have, and as a result, you may need to educate them a little bit differently. So for example, at Scout, when we work with our customers, the way we educate the general user population is very different than the C-levels or the finance team. If you think about key targets, HV, high value targets, we call it, right? It's, <laughs> It's basically your finance team, HR, C-levels, and IT. Those are our high-level value targets. When we do pen testing, that's who we go after. Because the IT guy probably has a file called password.txt he forgot about, sitting somewhere in his environment. The finance person is a great target for financial. So if you think about those people, you might want to educate them a little bit differently. That might be putting them in a room together and going through some a very short but engaging kind of exercise. So many of you have heard of uh, probably Have I Been Pwned? Go to Have I Been Pwned, mm -hmm. right? Go to Google if you don't know how to spell it. It's not how I just said how it's spelled. Um, and put in your email. But have your users put in the email, their own email address. And they'll, 
that's education, right? Now you see, oh, wait, I do go to these places. I did register. And, oh, I didn't know they had a problem, right? There you go. So Jimmy just put it out there. Have I been part? And the thing is that that's just education. It's been making it real, right? And then they said, well, I didn't go to this place, uh, house.com. Well, if you didn't, somebody else did on your behalf, and they used your email, right? So that's just an example. Education, I think, goes in different ways. It's not always about forcing someone to sit through a one-hour video, which, to be frank, for me, is very hard. So I can only imagine for a regular user who really – so how does it value them? And I also think the way I, we do it at Scout when we do these on sites for these limited populations is like – uh, you know, I would bring in their personal, like, for, for example, your personal and your corporate are all kind of one. For example, you know, when, you, when I was talking about wire transfer frauds, a lot of the time, wire transfer frauds, you're looking at the C-level. You might have a Facebook account or something, right? So most C-levels don't. They're like, I don't need a Facebook account. Well, I know who your daughter is. I know who your kids are. Your wife might have one. And you just tag, they just tag that they're on a trip to Caribbean. Well, now I know you're on a flight somewhere or you're going. So then I email somebody at your location that, you know, look, I'm trying to close a deal. I need this to occur right away. So there's an urgency, there's information, all this kind of combines together. So again, education's key. Absolutely. Oh, uh, looks like there's one more. Uh, he says, uh, thanks, I was looking for an LMS specifically aimed at the security and compliance. The only one I found was called Compliancy Shield or Track Compliance, but it enables you to also, um, it enables you to also include security content. I do not work for them, just found it to be pretty good, was not sure if anyone else uh, had a good way of doing this. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I actually, uh, Jimmy will tell you, we actually did a, a session on uh, New York Shield and CCPA recently. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, look, as far as the compliance, it's, I would say there's just a lot out there, a lot of free content out there. Um, but I would say as far as learning management systems for your users, I, I mean, I'm not aware of one for compliance, for security as well. Like compliance is a whole different angle, right? Like um, and I think that it becomes challenging to explain some of this, but I think it is important. Uh, I'm not aware of one offhand for a compliance from a security perspective. Like I said, I think there's uh, a number of them that are major players in the market. But uh, I would say that, you know, with the content and all that that's there, I would personally say that, you know, educating yourself and highlighting some of those points for your users is probably the best way to do it. But I, could, I think that's something that we can come back to you with because I don't know if a platform for compliance specifically, especially for the user base, I know there are certain things out there that you can use to learn for, you know, if you want to focus on something like CCPA, GDPR, and things like that, but not for the standard user base that I'm aware of right now, that I would recommend, I would say. I'm aware of a bunch of them. Absolutely. Um, one thing I think MSPs are probably going to run into a little bit, are, are you guys seeing this on your side? Um, so everyone's already paying for some sort of security application, solution, et cetera, for their office, right? And that's protected usually pretty well and has backups and, you know, firewalls, everything all set up. Now everyone's moved home. Does there have to be, you know, is there a need right now for a second level of security? Right, and is there gonna be a pushback from that user of, well, hey, I'm already paying you to protect my office, why don't you ship that over and protect my home? And obviously there's a huge education there, right? Because 
there's still data held at the office. There's still things that need to be protected live. Um, what do you think should be the route for education there? I mean, I, do you see this being an issue? So just protection in terms of for the user, not, without all the protections they have in their corporate location? Correct. So the corporate location is still being protected, but now the home location is, is obviously a huge, yeah. huge gap, right? It's being accessed constantly back to, yeah. um, you know, there's, I'm sure people are saving things onto the desktop and all the things we're not supposed to do, but mm -hmm. happens. Um, do you think MSPs are going to see a major pushback from the push for them to charge a little bit extra to put that protection on those end client machines? And yeah. So I think it's certainly an opportunity. Um, for all of us, I think that MSPs are doing a phenomenal job with all the changes that's been in the market, starting from day one when they had to set up the VPN accounts to day two as far as making things work. And now, like thinking about security, or starting to think about that as things are settling in or things are happening. I think um, I think there's other things to push further on. So, like, I think you kind of have to start from the endpoint, right? Like. Yeah, the good thing is that no matter what you do as part of this effort, when everything comes back or starts settling back, it's still just as effective, right? It's not, a, it's not just for this one time or for the crisis. It's always been there. The endpoint has always been a key point of, of area where you have data leakage. I think that you have a much larger area for data leakage to occur now. Like you said, when people are saving it elsewhere, but that was always the case mm -hmm. just now that they're home, it might be happening more because they don't have a way to save on their server or save wherever they were. So I think that organizations have to think about standardization and standardization from the fundamentals, from what's the endpoint that you use? You're using it everywhere, right? Endpoint protection, that is. What's the centralized authentication? Single sign-on, Okta, as an example, or whatever the MSP recommends, right? Is that being thought about? What are different aspects? What are the, some SaaS services that they can start recommending? So I think that the endpoint and working through like those points that we discussed today, I think are mm -hmm. very critical to kind of put together in a way for like the home network. Like you can do all that you want, but the home network is not being maintained and managed. Well, that's why you want to secure that device that they have at home to the best of your ability from endpoint you want to filter and control that email flow where most of the social engineering is happening. That includes the right advanced email protections. That includes enabling DMARC, right? These are, this is additional work. So I think that's all things that ultimately um, that needs to be a point of focus and maybe an initiative and a project for, as an opportunity for, to have conversations with, uh, for MSPs to, with their customers. Absolutely. And one thing I did want to highlight real quick was um, for anyone on the call or watching live who didn't see it already. So the scout team actually put out a really good checklist early on into the COVID-19 craziness um, that was helping get ready from a cybersecurity perspective for working from home. So I'll make sure that we get that posted on the MSP initiative uh, Facebook group after this, but uh, great asset, you know, take a look. Um, it's a quick thing, you know, Arun talked about a lot of different good free assets out there. These guys stepped forward and did this. Uh, I think it's a really quick way for you to get some education out to your clients. Um, so definitely worth taking a look at. You can head over to the Scouts website. I'm sure it's highlighted right up on there. Or you know, we'll make sure to link it back over um, to there from the MSP Initiative Facebook group after this. Um, I did want to touch on. Looks like we got another uh, quick 
question in here from Thomas. So it's, uh, can you describe how your products help address what I call the top 10 personal inventory of sensitive information? So these are things like driver's license, social security, bank account, credit card, mother's maiden name, sure. physical address, social media accounts, et cetera. Yeah, so Thomas, you could also add in their IP address because that, now that's PII for CCPA compliance. So I think, mm -hmm. I think the way to address that is there's a couple of different ways. One is obviously data loss prevention, right? DLP products. They can be on your firewall, they can be on your endpoint. It's not cheap, uh, but if that's your requirement, depending on what kind of compliances you have, it may be something you need. The other way is uh, there's a product called Veronis, which many of you may be familiar with. Again, another way to help identify data. I think data mapping is really important. Data classification is an exercise. Going back to opportunities, that's a project. Data classification, knowing, when you look at compliance, and I think somebody asked about compliance earlier, data mapping is one of the first exercises. Number one, do you know what kind of data you have? Do you know where it is? That's fundamental. As easy as it sounds, it's not easy. So once you identify that, then you need to put controls around it. So for a scout, concentric rings of security around your most sensitive data, your most sensitive critical systems. That's the way you kind of have to build your cybersecurity strategy and roadmap around that. And the, and the things you just mentioned are some of them, right, as an example. So it's a data mapping exercise. You could utilize DLP and things to enforce and control it. You could use products like Veronis to have that as a process as well. But ultimately, it's, it's an exercise that you have to do going from what do I have, how do I protect it, and then being able to manage, maintain, and uh, enforce. Awesome. Um, one quick thing I wanted to touch on, because I know there's been a lot of questions rolling in, and I'm sure there'll be some follow-up. Is there an email address for the scout team or something that, that uh, anybody can reach out afterwards if they have any questions? I mean, I know you guys have tons of great cybersecurity experts on staff, so if there's anything from there, Jamie, if you want to throw a website address or an email address into there. Um, yeah, that way, if you guys have any questions following up, I mean, these are going to be rolling sessions it's going to be every Tuesday and Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So if you guys have questions, you guys want to see something else, um, cybersecurity is an ocean, and we are barely barely skimming the top of it. So if you guys see another area that you think we could really touch on or really is impacting you today, make sure to reach out. You know, we'll get in touch with uh, with the team over at Scout, get them back on here, and and uh, bring Arun back on to keep schooling us in all things cybersecurity and um, showing us some of the scariness of what's going on in our world, but also helping you guys be prepared, which is important. Definitely. Awesome. Well, uh, I think with that, we're up to about five minutes of the hour, so I'm going to give last second chance for any questions. Um, anybody else need anything? Uh, if not, again, we have all those email addresses. You have our websites. Feel free to reach out. We look forward to speaking to everyone again soon. And more than anything, Jimmy, Arun, thank you guys both for joining us. Uh, great session. Really appreciate uh, the education there. This is one of the major things I think we're going to have to deal with over the next 6, 12 months, um, probably longer, you know, the impact of this and, and moving the entire workforce remote. It's going to be a major piece of what we have to do. I think the MSC market, we're going to see a major adoption into the home market from this. Um, so it's important to understand further and further what the compliance and security aspect looks like. So I appreciate you coming on and, and giving us this education and I look forward to having you guys back soon. Great. Thank you guys. Stay safe. Absolutely. Thanks so much.